Welcome to our four, the big show. It's Calgary Flames game day. They welcome the Minnesota, or they don't welcome, they're into St. Paul. They'll take on the Minnesota Wild tonight. Uh, Six o'clock puck drop will be on there at five o'clock with your Flames talk pregame show. Uh, In the afterglow of Canada's 3-2 heartbreaker, they lose in the final 11 seconds to Czechia. Canada's World Juniors is out. They're out of the tournament. No, so there'll be a new champion at the World Juniors over in Sweden. Uh, but right now, we're going to do a little tour around the, the Canadian rinks uh, right now. And our first stop is to Vancouver. And we're joined by Jamie Dodd, Canucks, Toe, Canucks Talk host over on Sportsnet 650. Jamie, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Did you take in any of Canada? Check you. So I'm going to be perfectly honest. I did not. That's fair. I woke up. Luckily, my kids, they're on vacation time still. So they slept in. So I, uh, I set my alarm, woke up, checked my Twitter, and basically first thing I saw was, oh, boy, we just lost to the checks. But, hey, what do we always say, right? No Connor Bedard, no Zach Benson. So it's okay. Yeah, no Fantilli, we right? Yeah. We, don't, we don't have to panic about, about Canada hockey. We always have those ready-made excuses for this tournament, which is what I love about it. Yeah, well. If we, if we win, it's because it's our game. If we lose, it's because we didn't have our best player. I, I do think, though, that the world is, is, slow, is catching up to Canada here, especially oh, yeah. with the boys down south. USA oh, hockey's yeah. coming, and uh, what they oh, put, what they got with the World Junior squad, uh, obviously what they have in goaltending with right now in the NHL and what's coming up, man. Like I, that's where Canada is. Like the goaltending, who is going to yeah. be the goalies in any sort of big best on best tournament? Because you can say you can talk Aiden Hill, Logan Thompson, all you want. Those are system <laughs> guys in Vegas. Yeah, I don't know if that thing's yeah. going to translate to a to a a, t- a tournament next January, or February, whenever the hell they want to do it. Well, you gotta get. You just gotta cross your fingers that somebody gets hot in that. But you're right about the U.S. And I mean, look at every draft year, right? Yeah. Like how many of the kids are coming out of the national development program? That's and great. the thing about the goal, the goaltending, I'll say as well, is it's not just the U.S. Right? You go to Sweden, you go to Russia, you go to Finland. Every country, it seems, has lapped. Canada specifically in goal, the U.S. in particular. I agree with you. Whenever they get this best on best going, like I think the U.S. is might have even a stronger roster. Like they'll definitely have an equal roster, but if you take it from top line center, right down to the third goalie, I think the U S might actually end up having a stronger roster in that tournament. They got some high end skill. I I still like Canada's defense core a little bit more, but who knows, who knows uh, what, let's just have it happen. Let's just play this tournament. Let's get it done. We'll do it. We'll talk about it uh, once it's official. Uh, But let's talk about your group out there in Vancouver. They haven't played since uh, last Thursday. Uh, a four-one loss to Philadelphia, but they're uh, they're back home tonight, taking on the Ottawa Senators. Uh, obviously, we talked to you. I've talked to you at the start of December, I believe, and then uh, I believe in the just at the end of September, just before the season. Yeah, and it was expectations were this group. Obviously, those have been exe- exceeded from where we oh, thought. Yeah. Like it wasn't just like, hey, might be a wild card team, might be fighting for a playoff spot. No, this team is going to be one of the three in the Pacific. What needs to go right the rest of the way for them to, for sure, legitimately? be a, ch- a chance at bringing the Stanley Cup back to Canada? The number one thing is health. Like, far and away. I mean, this is a team still. We And we knew this. As much as they've exceeded expectations, we knew the strength of this team was going to be their star players. And that's been the case, right? I mean, you just go down the list of guys who, you know, it's fallen off a little bit, I think, yeah. in terms of some of the heart conversation for, for guys like Pedersen or even Hughes. But certainly Hughes still right there in the Norris. You know, Demko, I think, has a chance to still be in the Vesna conversation. Miller's been excellent. Pedersen slowed down a little bit, but still been a very had a very, very strong 
strong season. Those guys need to stay healthy, first and foremost, more than anything else. And I really think, I mean, one of the good things about, uh, there's a lot of good things about having the start to the season or the first, you know, 30-plus games to the season that the Canucks have had, but one of them is that the coaching staff has the flexibility to, you know what, we don't have to play Quinn Hughes 27 minutes a night yeah. for us to uh, to go out there and get points because we're pretty comfortable in position. We can dial back the penalty-killing minutes for J.T. Miller and Elias Pettersson. We can get Casey DeSmith in there more frequently, and I know a lot of people were surprised when he got the game against Philly between Christmas and New Year's, but I think it's just, hey, if we can give Thatcher Demko a nice, you know, big break here in the middle of the season, keep him fresh, because now it's more about managing Demko so he's fresh going into a playoff series than it is, oh, how do we eke out points uh, every night of the season or as much as we can here to chase a playoff spot? That's just such a different position than the Canucks have been in in recent seasons. And I think to the coaching staff's credit, they've recognized it already. But that that's what's going to be the big thing. If you're talking about, okay, how can they ensure a top three finish in the Pacific and just going into the playoffs mm. uh, in, in the best condition possible? It's health. It's keeping their star players as healthy as possible. Uh, did you ever think in the in your wildest imagination that the Canucks could have three hundred point guys and one fifty goal guy? No, no. You know, I mean, I sh- <laughs> I shouldn't say that because if you told me that, if you told me both JT Miller and Elias Pettersson had a hundred points, and let's say Pettersson went for fifty, I know he's not the guy who's threatening, but I, you know, if you told me yeah. that before the season, I said, okay, that's a r- phenomenal season. But I can see it, right? Like Patterson hit a hundred last year, JT had ninety nine the year before. You know, okay, I can maybe talk me into it. Quinn Hughes, if you told me he was pushing a hundred, I'd say, oh, okay, maybe maybe that's a little <laughs> rich even for me. I know he's talented, but he's a defenseman still. That's very hard to do. And then Brock Besser, I mean, fifty. Like we were, I, a lot of people here had written off thirty. You know what yeah. I mean for Brock Besser. Uh, at this point in his career. And look, we'll see where he ends up. You know, I I would be uh, very excited for him personally just to hit the 40 goal plateau, right, before we even start to think about anything beyond that. It does remind me a little bit of Bo Horvat's season last year before he was traded where he just couldn't stop scoring early in the year. And he's like, oh, he's on pace for 65 goals now. And, (laughs) you know, I think he finished with 37 or something, which is a great season, but things dry up a little bit in the second half of the season. But, you know, I mean, again, as much as we knew the top-end talent was going to be a strength of this team, they've just, to a man, blown past what were kind of reasonable expectations for them coming into the year. Yeah, like I think only only Sam Reinhardt has a has a better shooting percentage among like guys who've got 20 goals or more, and he's clicking at 25.3, and Brock's at 24%. Uh, well, if that's sustainable for the rest of the year, we'll see. He's on pace for 55, but yeah, this team is super talented with some high-end skill. Uh, last time we spoke, uh, Nikita Zadorov, I believe, was just traded to, to the Vancouver Canucks, and then in that last game against Philadelphia, we saw a little bit of that wild card side of Big Z on the turnover, but overall, how's he been uh, acclimatizing himself to Vancouver and, and obviously playing alongside Tyler Myers? Yeah, you know what? It's kind of funny that you mentioned that, uh, the turnover against Philadelphia, because I think that was really the first time. And I'm sure there mm-hmm. were a lot of Calgary fans, if they happened to be watching that game. You know what it was, Jamie? Their head. It, it was the, the Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the TV. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> what I thought of. Yeah. Oh, look! Exactly. <laughs> there he is. He didn't disappear as soon as he left Calgary. Yeah. When the funny And the funny thing is, too, is that, and, you know, I think we talked about this even, I, I can't remember if we talked right after the trade or right before. It was right after it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, you know, the news that he was going to be paired with Tyler Myers, and not just here in Vancouver, but I think across hockey, could, uh, hockey fans were kind of rubbing their hands with, with glee, right? Like, oh boy, what are we going to see out of this pair? Like, they're going to do some really weird stuff. And the funny thing is, that just hasn't been the case. You know, it, it hasn't just been Zadorov, but I almost wonder if there's some sort of, like, psychological impact where they know they're out there with another high-event guy, right? And so they kind of think, okay, i got to dial it back a little <laughs> bit here because I'm, I'm playing with yeah. this other guy who likes to be a little chaotic as well. But we really haven't seen it much from them. And, you know, I know here, like, Tockett obviously gets a lot of credit for how the defense has played. You know, Adam Foote and Sergey Gonchar mm-hmm. are on the bench as well. And, you know, you don't need me to tell you about the kind of careers that those guys had. So they get a lot of credit. You know, I think it's just been, it's been a good fit. Look, we've seen this with Tyler Myers here in Vancouver, right? Where he'll have 15 games where you don't notice him. And I mean that in the most positive way, sense the positive sense, right? You you don't notice him and he's playing 20 minutes a game and Mm -hmm. you think, Hey, Tyler Myers is having a really nice stretch here. And then there'll be two weeks where you notice him a lot in a bad way, right? There's a lot of giveaways. There's a lot of bad reads. There's a lot of mistakes, blown coverages. uh, And and then the questions start to come. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me, and maybe you have some insight to this, if Zadorov is a little bit of a similar player, right? Where sometimes you're like, hey, this is going really, really well. I think we've been through that stretch. I think the question will be, and, and, you know, we've already been through one of these with Tyler Myers here in Vancouver where – you know, there's a, a run of three, four, five pretty tough games and a lot of calls like, hey, take him out of the lineup. And, you know, what the coach did instead, dialed his minutes back down to kind of 15, 16 a game for a couple games and then slowly worked his way back up, helped him get his confidence back. And since then, Tyler Myers has been really good. So, you know, I think for players like that, it's one, you got to take the bad stretches with the good. Mm-hmm. And you got to know that the bad stretches are coming and you got to manage their role, manage their role and put them in a, in a situation to succeed so far a little bit to my surprise, it's worked with Sidorov and Myers. But, you know, if one game turns into multiple, it's going to be interesting to see, especially with Carson Soucy yeah. uh, potentially coming back soon here. It's going to be interesting to see if the coach splits them up, if he manages their minutes a little bit to try to get them back on track. Yeah, because I think ideally you'd probably want everybody to be like you, you have a more offensive, wild defenseman. You want to have him paired with the traditional yep. stay in your own zone guy. But I think, you know, it's like, well, with Myers and, and Zadorov, it's like, well, both of us can't be crazy, so we both have to, you know, either you know, we'll figure it out, or you know, we're going to be split up, or one of us is going to be a healthy scratch, and we have to, you know, hone it in and play smart defensively because you just look at what Hughes and Hironik are doing as a pairing. It's like this can be a team that can do a lot of damage if you know adding Carson Soucy in, man. I think this could be a good group uh, overall uh, in the back end. And you mentioned there Rick Tockett, and then obviously the coaches Adam Foot and. And Sergey Gonchar, the Sedins are hanging around. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I talked, I had a conversation last week, and you know, I, I kind of see the same thing up in Edmonton with, with, with Paul Coffey helping out that defense core. Just how big is it just having the guys that played the game? And, and the, the Canucks are full of it. They got Tockett, they got Foot, they yeah. got Gonchar. They yeah. have guys that all played in recent memory as well that these kids can kind of yeah. like. Hey, I remember watching you a little bit. Just how big of that is, and I think that's like kind of what you're seeing now in in all sports is the alumni coming back into their teams and and the players benefiting from it. Yeah, it's a it's a really fascinating question to be honest, and I don't I don't know if I can quantify exactly how big that difference is because you know obviously you can point to extraordinarily successful coaches in the NHL and all sports who aren't trading off their, you know, their yeah. exploits as a player, right? Who played at a, at a low level or, you know, barely got a cup of coffee in the NHL 
as it was. So we know it can work both ways, but I do wonder sometimes if there's just a specific mix of players who needs one versus the other or who needs or, or really benefits from the coaches having that more recent experience, right? And, you know, with Rick Tockett, I mean – I think especially with a guy like JT Miller, right, who people mm-hmm. want to kind of play on the edge, but with that high level of skill as well, but also be responsible. You know, that's a tough thing to do night in, night out. But you look at NHL players and, and their resumes and their statistical resumes, and that's basically Rick Tockett, right? So I think with Tockett in particular, because he has been – he has stressed accountability so, so much with these players. And I think the fact that – you know, you can just go to his hockey DB page or you can call up some highlights on YouTube and you can see how he played mm-hmm. when he was in the league and you can kind of get a sense for, you know, he's not just, de- he's not demanding something he wouldn't do from us. Right. Exactly. And that's come up a bunch. Like, you know, he, he benched JT Miller. It was only for you know four or five, six minutes, something like that at the end of a period. But uh, that's still a pretty significant deal when you're, when you're sitting one of your best players down uh, for any stretch in a game. And I think he's earned the credibility to do that. And I think certainly part of that comes from what he did as a player with guys like foot and Gonchar, you know, I never know what exactly to make of it because look, Tyler Myers, he's been in the league a long time, right? Yeah. What did he come in like 2008, 2009 with Buffalo This mm-hmm. is a veteran guy who's played close to a thousand games in the NHL. I'm always a little skeptical of the idea that even somebody who has as much knowledge, you're not changing my game Adam much. Foot, yeah. But it's going to come in and, yeah. and teach him new tricks. Right. And really like, uh, uh, you know, uncover new layers of his game. Uh, at his age, at 33, I think, for Tyler Myers. Now, I'm not saying it can have an impact, but I think it's just always hard to tease out exactly, okay, well, what's the, what's the you know, the talent around him being better? How much is that contributing? How much is it the coaching? How much is it other things? That's always really hard to tease out. But I think with Tockett specifically, his career and just the style of player he was, it goes hand in hand with what he's preaching and, and what he's trying to get these players on board with. I think a player that's uh, certainly benefited from uh, Rick Tockett's uh, coaching is Dakota Joshua. Talk to me about this oh, guy. Yeah. Third line, he's he's in a contract year. He's 16 points uh, so far. He's a decent guy in the faceoff dot as well. Uh, this is the type of guy that you can you can win with. Talk to me about Dakota Joshua. Yeah, Dakota Joshua, interesting player because you know he's uh, he's 27 now, and when he, the Canucks signed him, they actually signed him a couple of uh, of years ago at this point. So this is the second year of a two year contract he signed him. You know, I believe he was a Group Six free agent, which was kind of one of those special yes. ones where you're a certain age and you've been in the minors, and so Matthew you haven't accrued enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You haven't accrued enough service, but you're a free agent. Anyways, and the thing with Dakota Joshua was he came out of university in 2018-19. So the 2019-2020 season is, of course, the season that gets interrupted by COVID, right? And then the next year is also very interrupted by COVID. So he never really got a chance to play a lot of games after turning pro. Mm -hmm. And I think there was a certain... Uh, certain rawness to his game. And the other interesting thing is during the the 2020-2021 COVID season, the St. Louis Blues were sharing the Utica Comets with the Vancouver Canucks, or the Canucks were kind of permitting the Blues to mm-hmm. use Utica as an AHL affiliate. That's where Dakota Joshua goes play goes and plays, and Canucks uh, assistant general manager who oversees the the AHL team, which was at, at the time was Utica, now it's back in Abbotsford. You know, he noticed Dakota Joshua and said, "Oh, hey, if this guy's going to be a free agent, we should be very very interested in this guy." They bring him in, and yeah, eleven goals last year, twenty three points. You know, already nine goals this year, so he's on pace for close to twenty goals, and you just 
you know, this is a guy who has all those physical tools, right? Six, three can skate over 200 pounds. will drop the gloves from time to time early in the season, even after training camp, you know, Rick talk, was pretty open. Like, Hey, Dakota Joshua didn't come to camp in the way I want in the, in the, uh, the condition, the fitness level that I wanted him. He has to work on that. He challenged the player publicly. I think he might have even been a healthy scratch at one point this year, Dakota Joshua. But since then he has, and, you know, again, I talk about the accountability that Rick Tockett is preaching to all these players. I think Dakota Joshua was a prime example where Tockett challenged him, but then he's also recognized the work that Joshua has put in and he's rewarded him, right? He wasn't challenging mm-hmm. him just to, to be a jerk and throw one of his players under the bus publicly. It was for a reason. And Joshua has really responded. And since he's got on a line with Connor Garland and Teddy Bluger, uh, the third line for the Canucks, I mean, that's really been their best five-on-five line for pretty much a month here. Uh, and Joshua's been a big part of it. Like, Garland's the offensive driver. He's the guy doing a lot of the playmaking. But Joshua has the hands to finish a lot of the passes he's getting from Garland. He can set up goals from uh, on his own uh, as well. And you just look at that package, right? A guy who has the hands, can skate, physical, not afraid to drop the gloves. I think he's on pace for, you know, 10 fights in addition to his uh, being on pace for 20 goals this year. Like, this is a guy that teams are going to be really interested in, (laughs) an unrestricted free agency. And I think Canucks fans, and especially fans around the league on July 1st, if they, you know, if you're not watching Canucks games, Dakota Joshua might not be a very familiar name for you. I think there's going to be a lot of people who are very surprised when that contract comes in on July 1st. So I'm going to say, wait a second, this guy? Dakota Joshua, who is getting that much? (laughs) But, I mean, look at what Tampa Bay gave up in draft picks to get Tanner Janot last year, right? you got a guy who can play a little bit and can fight and can uh, handle himself physically, and you're a playoff team, you're willing to pay a lot, whether it's salary, whether it's draft capital, whatever it is. That's a a valued player in today's day and age. I think the Canucks are going to try to get it done. But as you know, look, they've got Elias Patterson to figure out. Mm-hmm. They've got Phil Peronik to figure out. They've got a ton of UFAs on their blue line to figure out, including Nikita Zadorov. They're not going to be able to pick all of these players. And Joshua is one of those guys who has put himself to in a position to really, like, this is his payday. You know what I mean? Like, this is a chance for him to get a really, really good contract. I'm not saying it'll be impossible for it here, to be here in Vancouver, but I don't think it's going to be a slam dunk either. Is there any concern over Andre Kuzmenko's play right now? Obviously, he's off, uh, not on the pace he was last year in his first full uh-huh. year, uh, his first real year in the NHL. He's got 19 points in 31 games. He's been a scratch at points this year. How's he doing? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're Rick Talkett, there's a lot of concern about Andre Kuzmenko's game. And as you said, he's been a healthy scratch. You know, he came out of the lineup for two games once around the end of November. And then, you know, they pulled him out for another couple of games uh, later on in December. And it was that second series of healthy scratches that really kind of raised alarms for me, I would say. And I knew that there was a lot of dissatisfaction. Obviously, he'd already been a healthy scratch and we'd seen his minutes go down and all of that. But the fact that he came out again really spoke to me that, okay, this might not be a long-term, as much as he still has another year in his contract after this one, and, you know, this is a playoff team, and do you want to trade a guy like that before the playoffs? This might not be a long-term marriage between Rick Tockett and Andre Kuzmenko. And the thing I keep coming back to is this isn't a new thing this year, right? It wasn't like he was healthy scratched because he had one or two really bad giveaways in a game, and 
the coach needed to send a, a message. This is longstanding, really going back to when Tockett took over from Bruce Boudreaux, you know, about a year ago or a little mm. more than a year ago, a little less than a year ago, I should say, uh, last season. And, you know, really, as, as soon as Tockett came in, there were no scratches, but his minutes went down, didn't see the same opportunities. And, you know, he ended with 39 goals. And there were actually some, we had some fans kind of texting us and asking us like, hey, what's the deal? Why isn't Tockett giving this guy more ice time to try to get him 40 goals, right? And yeah. so this is a this is a thing that Tockett, you know, that has existed between Tockett and Kuzmeg. And I don't want to suggest that it's personal, but just that there's a, a longstanding dissatisfaction with how Andre Kuzmenko plays the game. And look, he's come back in and, you know, he, he scored a couple of times against the Sharks before Christmas. He was still in the lineup uh, against Philly. So we'll see where it goes. But it, it's just, you know, again, I talk about accountability, right? And, hey, he challenged Dakota Joshua. Joshua responded. He challenged JT Miller. Miller responded. He's challenged Niels Hoaglander. Hoaglander's responded, it doesn't seem like he's getting that response, right? Mm -hmm. It's still, you you know, there's not the attention to the details. There's not the effort on the forecheck. There's not the uh, defensive awareness. There's not the puck management that he's looking for of Andre Kuzmenko. So it feels to me like until that changes, we're going to be stuck in this cycle where, Okay, he comes out of the lineup for a couple time, for a couple games, comes back in, maybe scores on the power play, but still isn't really doing the things talk at once, and inevitably he's going to go back down the lineup or come back out of the lineup at some point. And I just think if you're in that position where, with a player where he does have skill, he can obviously help a team, but he's just not doing what the coach wants. You know, to me, you at least have to be exploring other other options, right? Whether that's a trade or whatever it is, and I think that's probably where the Canucks are. I don't want to report anything, but it certainly wouldn't surprise me if we saw a trade uh, between now and the trade deadline. And uh, last one for you here, Jamie. Uh, obviously, Elias Pettersson's contract uh, is coming up, and is essentially mm-hmm. just like, is it the Canucks are ready to pay him when he's ready, or is there still some other things? Obviously, Philippe Perron, like you mentioned, Nikita Zadorov, yeah. Dakota Joshua would be a nice pick for sure, but I'm sure he's last of the priorities uh, just overall, like, how is Patrick Alvin, Jim Rutherford going to approach this? And then, like, with the deadline, this team obviously wants to be a buyer. Yeah, so the reporting has been on Elias Patterson from Elliot Freed, and I think this is even just a few days ago, right? But, hey, when when uh, when Elias Patterson is ready, the Canucks are ready to do business. And they're ready. Like, I don't – this is not going to be a negotiation. Look, obviously, there's going to be a back and forth. But if this breaks down, it's not going to be the, because the Canucks drew a line in the sand over how much money they're going to give Elias Patterson, right, or how many years they're going to give Elias Patterson. We, Jim Rutherford was on our station uh, earlier in December, and, you know, they asked him about the Patterson negotiations and specifically what term would the Canucks want on the contract ideally and Rutherford said our ideal term is whatever makes Elias Patterson happy right mm-hmm. like so like that's the position that the Canucks are in like hey two years five years eight years <laughs> whatever you want we'll do it just put pen to paper right like that's what they're saying what their message publicly is on the Elias Patterson deal so really it's just a a, a question of does Patterson want to sign and when does he want to sign and how long does he want to sign for? And once Elias Patterson decides all of those things, then either a deal will get done in relatively short order, I think, or it will stretch on and we'll go into the summer and then there'll be a lot of uncertainty. I know there was a report, uh, I think from Darren Dreger in December that Patterson's agents were planning come January to kind of sit down and walk him through his options, walk through the different contract options. So look, maybe they do that. That meeting happens and, you know, Pedersen decides he wants to sign here in Vancouver, and we're, we're talking about an extension, you know, before the end of January. That wouldn't shock me. I would still bet on Pedersen 
getting signed at some point, but certainly as the longer it stretches on, the more uncertainty there is about, you know, what exactly does Elias Pettersson want? And then, you know, to your question of priorities, it's a really fascinating one because I wouldn't want to do a long-term deal with Philip Peronik at, you know, 8 million a year, Whoa. which if you, if you, if you read the reports, that's what's going to, that's what it's going to take. I wouldn't want to do that. Certainly, unless I had certainty on what Elias Pettersson was going to do, right? Like I wouldn't want to take care of all my other business yeah. and then find out I'm not going to be able to get an Elias Pettersson deal done. So there's a sense that, yeah, you've got the, you've got the trade deadline coming up and you'd love to ink some of these UFAs before the trade deadline passes, but with the Elias Pettersson situation hanging over your head, you know, it's difficult. You don't want to be left kind of holding the bag if he ends up wanting to go somewhere else. So it's a really tricky situation. So much of it hinges on what Elias Pettersson decides to do. The ball is very much in his court at this point. Uh, it'll be a fascinating uh, four-month run in here towards the playoffs for the Canucks. As, uh, they're, uh, they're right up there with, uh, with uh, the top teams in the National Hockey League. Jamie, thank you so much for uh, taking some time of your morning. Uh, enjoy the game tonight, and we'll do this again soon, I'm sure. Sounds good, man. Appreciate it. Have a good one. You too. Uh, here you go, Jamie Dodd, Canucks Talk host over at Sportsnet 650. Canucks take on the Ottawa Senators tonight, 8 o'clock. Start over on Sportsnet Pacific. Uh, around the corner, we'll replay our conversation with Charles Davis. Week 18 is here. A lot of NFL to get to. That's next as Big Show Hour 4 continues on Sportsnet 960. The Fan.